Well, today we're going to be reading from Psalm 130. We are thinking together about what it means to live during a season when nothing is normal. Trusting God when everything's been turned upside down, inside out. We've been feeling that way for quite some time. And so we're looking at passages from the Old Testament, a series of psalms called Songs of Ascents. They were for going up to Jerusalem on pilgrimage and living in the in-between time when the normal of home has been left behind, but you haven't yet reached your destination in Jerusalem, and everything feels a bit unsettled. We're looking at the themes of those worship songs and finding that they speak to our experience right now. Today we're going to read a psalm that we've already been singing, Psalm 130, from the depths of woe is the uh, title of the song that we are singing. And you'll hear that language through this psalm, language that has to do with darkness, being sunk down in the depths, language of, of waiting during the night, watching for the morning to come. Let's listen now as we hear the scripture read by Lauren Yoder. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. God. Let's take a moment and pray so that we're able to hear what God has to say to us better than if we try to do it in our own strength. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for not leaving us alone, for speaking into our world, for speaking with beautiful words that paint pictures for us, pictures of what life in this world is like, with which our hearts can resonate. And thank you for speaking clearly about your deep love for us. Give us ears to hear everything that you wish to say to each one of us today, our Father, our Lord, our Redeemer. Amen. So as we start this psalm, we read that word in verse 1, depths. Out of the depths I cry to you. It's a, it's a picture throughout the Old Testament of being completely overwhelmed and inundated by the sea. This notion of being underneath the ocean waters and sinking down further and further into the darkness of the deep. And noticing that there is light penetrating from above, but the more you sink, the more you are cut off from that light. There's a weight dragging you under. That's, that's the image that this word 
is meant to convey. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, there is something dragging me down, cutting me off from you, and I am sinking further and further. I am overwhelmed by darkness. That's where this psalm starts, with that image of being overwhelmed by darkness, completely surrounded, completely cut off from the light above and overwhelmed by the depths of the ocean. It's, it's an image of hopelessness. I have no hope, Lord, that I will be able to stand in the day of reckoning in the future. This is why the question is asked in verse 3, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? I am so overwhelmed and hopeless that I, I realize my failings before you, and I know that my day of reckoning is coming. We're hearing that language a lot right now, aren't we? That uh, the day of reckoning has come for certain images and symbols and, and even statues placed in communities and cities across our nation. The day of reckoning has come. Well, it means that that careful attention is being paid to the past. Careful attention is being paid to what was done by people represented through those statues. And when the day of reckoning comes and fault is found, you'll be torn down. That's the image here. There is a day of reckoning coming to our world, coming to each of us. And the things that we have done to improperly abuse, misuse, mistreat, fail to love, show coldness toward other people, sending the signal that God is a God like that because we are made in His image and everything we do reflects on Him. A day of reckoning is coming. And if you, O Lord, kept a record of every way that I have failed you, in every way that I have mistreated other people, I would not be able to stand. No wonder the psalm opens with this image of being overwhelmed by darkness and constantly pulled down and sinking further and further because the more I reflect on what I'm really like, the more I know that when that day of reckoning comes in the future, I have no hope of standing. There's something else I notice in this psalm, though. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spin on the logic that happens in the human heart. And it often says this, because I, because I won't be able to stand in that day of reckoning in the future, then perhaps you won't hear my cry now in the present. I got to meet one of my neighbors this week. I won't share his name because, well, he doesn't want to show up in a sermon, right? He may be listening in. I hope so this morning. But uh, I got to meet him because the dog got away. Um, some of us have dogs that are escape artists, right? And, well, there's a, there's a dog that belongs to this neighbor, and he's a bit of an escape artist. And so... The door was open, and the leash was not on, and there went the dog, and I got to meet my neighbor to help look for 
the dog. And it wasn't going well. Um, there was no sign, no trace of the little dog. So I just stopped and asked my neighbor, I said, listen, I, I don't know if you're the kind of person who prays, but I am. Would you mind if I prayed that God would help us find the dog? And our neighbor was gracious and said, no, not at all. But, but then some comments followed, even, even in the middle of our time of prayer, that, that gave a definite sense of, you know, God probably won't listen because I messed up so bad. I, I messed up and let the dog get away. I should have been more attentive. And, and my wife is going to kill me. And I messed up so bad. And on the verge of tears, this definite sense of, hey, man, you go ahead and pray all you want, but God probably won't listen because I messed up too bad. You ever have that feeling? That's what it feels like to be overwhelmed by darkness. God, there are so many reasons I need to beg you for your mercy I need to beg you for mercy in the middle of a pandemic that I won't get sick, that I won't have to be hospitalized, that I won't die, that I won't infect someone else that I love. Lord, protect us. I need to beg you for mercy in that. And, and this has made every relationship harder. I need to beg you for mercy in my marriage because being in the same house all the time with so much stress on us, it's, it's getting harder and harder and harder. So that even when I do something little like let the dog out, I'm afraid my wife is going to kill me. It's made parenting harder. It's made work harder. It's made life with roommates harder. How many people do you know who have gone separate ways with their roommates over the past three or four months? Everything is harder. God, I need to beg you for mercy. There are deep racial problems in our country, in our churches, in my soul I need to beg you for mercy to heal those things. But you probably won't listen because I've messed up so bad. I have no hope for standing in the day of reckoning that's going to come in the future, and maybe that's going to keep you from hearing my cry for mercy. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. But if you keep a record of sins... No way. That's how the psalm starts, with that image of utter darkness. But then it takes a turn, doesn't it? In verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. I would have no hope if you were keeping a record of all the ways I've messed up of all the ways I've forgotten you, of all the ways I've mistreated other people, but with you, there's forgiveness. Therefore, there's hope. I can stand when that day of reckoning comes in the future. You will hear my cry for mercy now in the present because with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared now, in modern-day English, when we use the word fear, we're talking about you know, being afraid that something bad is going to happen to me. And so when we read that into biblical passages that talk about fearing God, 
it can sound really strange. Should I be afraid that God's going to hurt me? That he's going to do something bad to me? But oftentimes, Scripture makes it very clear that this is a different kind of fearing. Notice that in this verse. With you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. With you there is something good to be done to me. Therefore, you are going to do something bad to me? That makes no sense. This is a different kind of fear. In this context, fearing God means being overwhelmed with a sense of awe and wonder at who He is. When I was about 12 years old, my grandparents were moving from one house in the city of Anderson, South Carolina, to another house. And um, they hired some men to come and help do the heavy lifting. I was 12. My uh, grandparents didn't have any business moving heavy furniture and appliances by themselves. And uh, so we hired some folks to come and help. And one of the men who came to help was actually training to be on the Olympic weightlifting team. And he was a mountain of a man. And I remember this moment when he walked into the kitchen and he looked at the refrigerator and he was wearing his big weightlifter's belt, right, to protect from injury. He walks over to the refrigerator and he squats down and he wraps his arms around it. Now his arms were huge, very tall guy, able to wrap his arms around the refrigerator and he stood up and he turned around and he said, where would you like me to put it? And as a 12-year-old kid, scrawny little kid, I'm sitting there just in awe, amazement. I have never seen anything like this. Like it normally takes three grown men in my family to move a refrigerator and, and a hand truck and some straps and some stitches at the hospital when it doesn't go well. And here's this guy who's just so strong, gentle, polite, nothing to be afraid of in his presence, but I've never seen anything like this. That's what fear is in the scriptures. When you talk about fear of God, I've never seen anything like this. God, we have never seen forgiveness that looks like this. It's as though God walked over to this mountain of my failings, this mountain of my sin and rebellion against Him, this mountain of failure to love other people, and He wraps His arms around it, and He lifts it up, and He says, where would you like me to put this? And He tosses it into the ocean, and He lets it sink down into the darkness further, further, deeper down so that it's completely cut off from him and he completely forgets it. We've never seen forgiveness like this. We've never seen someone who knows our hearts so perfectly and yet forgives so completely. Awe, wonder, We start off overwhelmed by darkness. But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. 
How do I know? How do I know that there is this forgiveness? Verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. That God has spoken promises that He will forgive us. That's not just a vague thought that somewhere maybe once God says something like this, if, if, you're, if you're one of God's Old Testament people journeying from your home village up to the temple to worship, singing this song of ascents, you're thinking of very specific Scripture passages like Exodus when Moses asks to see God in all of His glory. And this is the response that he gets from God. God says, I will tell you who I am. I am the Lord. I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. In the context, that means thousands and thousands of generations of people. After you are long gone, I will still keep my steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, whatever you want to call your failure. I will forgive it. Give it this label. Give it that name. Give it that word. I will forgive it. We've never seen forgiveness like this. Leviticus chapter 16. At the end of the rituals of the Day of Atonement, celebrated once a year in Old Testament Israel, God makes this promise, On this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean from the Lord from all your sins. I may be overwhelmed by darkness, and if you looked at the record of my sin, if you just measured that mountain of failure, I would have no hope of standing in the future and fear that you won't hear my cry for mercy in the present, but with you there is forgiveness. You have promised it in your word, and I am going to wait. My soul waits for you, O oh Lord, to keep your promise. So now something new begins to happen in the middle of the darkness. We are a people who are watching. Verse 6 says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. It's a picture of reality in the ancient world. Here's a photo that I took in a the city of Hatzor in northern Israel. And you could see the, the wall of the city there. Now, imagine that that modern highway isn't present. Your job is to stand on that wall as the sun goes down and look for anything dangerous. Listen for any hint that an enemy army is approaching. Look for the gleam of the sunset off someone's bronze shield coming over those distant mountains. And then the sun will set deeper and the darkness will grow dimmer and you can't see those mountains anymore. But keep looking at that valley and the plain and the trees and listening because 
Your job is to stand on this wall all night long when the sun has long sunk and there is darkness all around you and you can't see a thing anymore. You're looking and you're listening and the safety of your city depends on it. You're standing on the wall and it's a scary job because if the enemy is coming, you're the first one in the line of fire. It's a dangerous job, and the night is long. So it's interesting, isn't it? This is another, another metaphor about darkness. Verse 1 started out with darkness. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And now here we are in verse 6 talking about darkness again. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen stand there in pitch black, dead of night, waiting for the morning. But now something new is happening. At this point in the psalm, I am still surrounded by darkness, but I'm no longer overwhelmed because I know that the dawn will come. The darkness will be penetrated and pierced by light. Something has happened to give us hope that the darkness will not last forever. There's a rhythm to this psalm. There's a rhythm to our faith, the past, present, and future. Something has happened in the past that gives us hope in the present that causes us to wait to see God's mercy in the future. God made a promise in his word. He made that promise in the past. He said to Moses that he is full of grace, a forgiving God. He said through Moses about the day of atonement that we would be cleansed from all of our sin. He made those promises in the past. So now we're standing on the wall watching and waiting to see the fullness of those promises come to us in our experience in the future. That rhythm runs throughout this psalm. Oh Lord, in your word, you said things in the past. Therefore now, I am hoping, waiting, watching. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I'm waiting for the sun to rise. It won't rise in the middle of the night, but it will come. Sometime in the future, the fullness of that promise will come into my daily experience. That was the rhythm of faith in ancient Israel. It is the rhythm of faith now that Jesus has come to fulfill all of God's promises to ancient Israel. Something happened in the past. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. It gives us hope in the present. Right now, we are watching and waiting for the fullness of his mercy to come. And that will come in the future. We will see his redemption, the work he has done to redeem us, come to fullness in our experience, in this life and for eternity. So what should we do now as we're standing on the wall, watching and waiting? Put your hope in the Lord, verse 7 says. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Now that Jesus has come, 
O you who put your trust in Him, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever is weighing you down, put your hope in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means something different for different audiences. For our past, for those of us who are weighed down with this burden of guilt and shame before God because of things that we have done. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to take that away. Maybe you have never honestly stood before God and said, I have a long track record of godlessness. I have a long track record of loving someone other than you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have a long track record of loving myself and ignoring my neighbor, maybe even harming my neighbor. And I've never asked you, God, to deal with me. I've never asked you to take that mountain of guilt and throw it far away from me because of Jesus. So if that's you, put your hope in the Lord for your past. Ask Him to do what He promises in His Word, to erase the record of your sins and to let the fullness of that come into your present experience. That that burden of guilt and shame would be lifted away from you because of Jesus. Some of us need to ask God to do this for our past. Others of us need to put our hope in the Lord for our present. Maybe you want to grow and change, to to become more like the person that Jesus is, to become more the person that, that God wants you to be. Maybe you want that growth and change, but you're losing hope that it can really happen. The darkness is overwhelming you. It's midnight and you're on the wall and you've stopped hoping that the dawn will come. I want to encourage you. Work for that growth and change that you want to see. Maybe it's personal growth and change in your own life. Maybe it's growth and change in the church. There's something about the people of God that's faithless to Him and you want to see that change. Work for that change. You want to see change in our world, to see see God's standards of mercy and compassion and forgiveness and holiness and goodness and truth and justice flourish. Work for that change because you're confident that the darkness has been broken and the light is coming. Put your hope in the Lord for that kind of growth and change in the present. What about the future? Some of us are carrying wounds that will never heal until full redemption has come at the return of Jesus. Some of us wake up every morning unable to think about guilt and shame, unable to worry with growth and change because all we want is an end to the pain The night is long, but the dawn will come. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus. As the psalm says, with the Lord is unfailing love. 
that will not stop until it has wiped away all of your tears. With the Lord is full redemption. Read that verse again, verse 7. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Jesus will not stop his work in your life and in our world until your broken heart is fully mended. That full mending will only happen in the future when he comes. But he will come. The darkness has been broken, and the night has been pierced by a ray of light. When you're standing on the wall, surrounded by darkness, watching and waiting, your heart racing, because what if you hear the sound of that enemy coming, and what if the darkness will last forever? It means so much when you see the first ray of light break over the horizon because it tells you the darkness will end. It won't last forever. I may have to stand here on this wall and keep watching and keep waiting for the sun to rise fully, but I've seen that first ray of light break over the horizon in his crucifixion. Jesus sank down to the depths. He was weighed down with the weight of our guilt and shame, with our wounds and tears, all our sins and sorrows, we sang earlier, dragging Jesus down into overwhelming darkness. But in his resurrection, Jesus has experienced full redemption from the shame of the cross, from the pain of everything he suffered, from the sorrows of the grave. Jesus is the first ray of light, breaking over the horizon, and shouting to you that the darkness won't last forever. The darkness of your past wiped away. The darkness and hopelessness in the present, that there can be no change, there can be no, no growth, lifted the wounds, the pain, healed in the future when he comes. The darkness won't last forever. In town, put your hope in the Lord. With him is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. And he himself will redeem all who trust in him from all their sins. And as we sang earlier, when all our sins are gone, so will be all our sorrows. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see the darkness, but to see it in a new way, not as darkness that overwhelms us as we sink further and further from you, but see it as darkness that has been broken and penetrated by that first ray of the dawn because you have come and the promises made to ancient Israel are perfect and true in you. 
for all of Israel who would trust in you, for all from the nations who would trust in you. No matter the darkness that in shadows enfolds our hearts, may we see you as the light in the middle of the darkness that gives us hope now and forever, we pray in your name. Amen.